You have joined us once again on the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. I am Gary Wilkerson, president of World Challenge, and we have Joshua West as a co-host with us again. Joshua is head of our Pastors Network and doing conferences, preaching, evangelizing, and writing uh, many, many books. You've written three powerful books. We're working on one uh, together. Well, if we're counting the one we, we just finished, I think we can safely say four books. Four books, yeah. The, yeah. the last one me and you co-wrote, and uh, it's kind of in the... The process now. Yeah, let's do me a favor. In our next episode, I saw you had the manuscript. Let's let's put it on the table here, and we can show it to people. Like, look, this thing's coming out here pretty soon. Excellent. We're getting Sounds it to good. the editor, and uh, it's too early to uh, pre-order at this point. But it won't be long before we'll start sharing with this. We're real excited about this book called "The Draw Dropping Beauty of Jesus." I think for Joshua and I both, it's probably one of the more favorite titles we have. Uh, you were saying the other day about hard. Tell, tell us about the hard sayings. But uh, your friend asked you where you. Oh yeah, it was just a, a person who. Uh, you wrote a book called "Hard Sayings," by the way. Just it's so called "Hard Sayings: Reconciling the Cost of Discipleship in the American Dream." And he goes, man, where did you uh, where did you get the title for that? You know, hard sayings. And I was like, well, it's from the Book of John. Yeah. I'm not I'm not terribly creative. My uh, it's just you know the one of the scriptures where yeah, where basically right. the disciples said these are hard sayings. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think the draw the jaw dropping beauty of Jesus, uh, which I definitely didn't come up with. Um, is just such a beautiful description of the book of Hebrews. Yeah. When I first brought it to your attention, you were kind enough to think I was really smart and came up with a good <laughs> title. Um, it actually came from an interview I did with Jordan Thomas, which I was highly encourage you to go back. And the, the guy just reeks of Jesus and just glorifies Christ so much. Go back to the early podcast with Jordan Thomas and uh, you're going to do that. But, but that uh, he was being interviewed on another podcast and that podcast was called The Jaw-Dropping Beauty of Jesus. So... Um, but I asked him, he's, he's working with us, World Challenge, on putting a book together. A matter of fact, a, almost like a series of commentaries on the book of Hebrews that he did at his church over a many-year period. And um, just such honoring of Christ and magnification of his name. That's something we need in our generation. Is just go back back to Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is all. Jesus is everything. That's And that's the book of Hebrews. But we didn't come today to talk about the book of Hebrews, although I'm sure we could spend many hours uh, doing so. That might need to be a, another series. By the way, we're trying to put our podcast in a format of 12-week modules uh, where we really intently get in on one subject. And this one is on the fascinating uh, life-altering Word of God. And we're encouraging people to just get engaged and ignited uh, engulfed in the flames of the glory of God manifest in the Son, Christ Jesus, through the Word of God. And that's a, and, and we're just helping people with some tools, how to exposit the Scripture, how to do hermeneutics. Once you want to speak the the gospel to others, then it comes through, through homiletics, and these are things. In our past episodes we talked about today, we're, we want to talk about, um, would you call it the literary language? Why don't, you, why don't you define what we're talking about today, if you don't mind? Well, you know, the Bible is written in language, right? And so um, in language, not just biblical language, there's different sort of literary types. And so the Bible has different literary types, as does most writing. And so we were going to kind of talk about um, the idea of reading the Bible literally, we, we, we take the Bible as literal, but we want to literally read the Bible the way that the author intended it to be read. So when we say we're literally, you know, reading the Bible, if it's a narrative, a story, a command, we want to take that literally and take it to heart. Um, when, when he tells a poem, we want to understand that it's a it's poetic language. When Jesus taught in a parable, we need to understand as a parable. So there's a, you know, 
different uh, theological traditions may say one or more or less, or but but basically we all kind of view uh, these literary types because they're um, just common literary types that are you know universally held. Um, and so we're going to talk about the literary types of the Bible today. One thing I, I would say before we list what they are is that, you know, it's important to realize that we we can't define a book like, okay, this book is law, this book is epistle, this book is, even though some would, we could characterize the majority of a book that way. Most books of the Bible, not all, but most books of the Bible have many different literary types in it. Um, and so... Do you want to list them off, or would you like me to? No, go ahead. Just before you do, uh, just uh, the question comes to mind: uh, Why, knowing what type of genre of literature you're reading in Scripture, why is that important? What happens if you, you know, so if something's poetic and you're reading it as literal, that would that could be well. In the case of the Bible, dangerous. Dangerous, yeah. <laughs> um, and and it could help. We'll misinterpret the Bible. And, and realistically, I want to make sure that the people listening know that we're not trying to complicate the Bible. We're trying to make the Bible plainer and more simple. Yeah. And it's some people who think of themselves as highly spiritual, maybe a little overly charismatic sometimes will say, I don't need to know all this. You know, I, I need, I just need the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not working apart from our minds. He's not working apart from the word he inspired. So the Holy Spirit helps us rightly divide the word of truth. So we need to understand um, the fact of the way the Bible was written. That's what he helps us understand. That's so good. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Uh, And and rabbit trail, I just want to announce (laughs) in advance, this is a rabbit trail. But just this idea of do we need tools? Do we need, uh, or is this just, you know, as we talked about, previously, is this ivory tower academia or is this really helping me grow spiritually? And so some of us will say, well, you know, so Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 uh, says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. And so people say like, well, I don't need, that's the wisdom of the world to talk about whether it's poetic or whether it's uh, narrative. That's that's just man's mind putting these categories in there. Well, Paul does, you know, you know, it's almost like we want to just get rid of wisdom then. And that's not what Paul meant here, because no in verse, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Yes. But it's the wisdom, not the wisdom of this age. It's wisdom the of, of God. Age, it's the wisdom of God. I think one thing that is really important to mention here, that none of Paul's writings about, you know, when he's talking about not being caught, you know, caught up in eloquent words of wisdom, he's talking in the context of the Greeks, this context yeah. that he's in, the Greco-Roman philosophy, yeah. these sort of, you know, many different worldviews and philosophies that everybody loved to debate and talk about. And, and so he's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not coming to you with that. I'm coming to you with the very wisdom of God. And what we're talking about is rightly discerning and rightly dividing the wisdom of God. God gave us minds. God gave us hearts. He re- regenerated our heart, and he tells us to renew our mind yeah. so that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world. Yeah. So we're not superimposing anything. We're saying, let's 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 dig in and find what God meant to the best of our abilities. I think what Paul would be saying, and what you, uh, uh, echoing of what you said, what he would be saying is, if you're going to look, look at Scripture through the lens of narrative or poetic or wisdom or some of the things you'll talk about in just a second, don't do it through human wisdom. Do, do it through God's... 
look at the narrative through God's wisdom, look at the poetry through God's wisdom. And that's that's the difference here we're talking about, but it doesn't mean these things are human or uh, man-made. So well, I mean, Jesus himself used literary devices. Yeah. Jesus used uh, Jewish idioms. Mm-hmm. Jesus often spoke in parables. Par- a lot of parables. God, yeah. Jesus himself um, spoke uh, in, in sort of uh, using examples to make things, uh, complex things plain and right. simple for us to understand. And so if it, if it's good enough for Jesus, good enough for us, <laughs> yeah. if we, if we, because here's the reason why before we, the last thing I'll say is this, the reason often people want to discard boundaries and rules that are just common and simple to help us understand the, the word of God is because they want to be able to, they say it's the Holy Spirit. What they really want is to be able to interpret the Bible however they want. Yeah. They want to be able to make it mean whatever they want, whenever they want, instead of not to say we have it all figured out, but we have to come to the the agreement that this, that this is actually saying something Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's not my truth or your truth. It's the truth. Yeah. And we're just working to 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 sharpen each other um, to find out what that truth is. And so the, these sort of things here are just helping us understand, you know, what we're just trying to get in the shoes of what of what the audience of the day would have been hearing yeah. and understanding. Just, so just before you go to that, I, I remember I read a quote to you from that book I was reading, uh, Hermeneutics. This is surprising. Uh, hermeneutics affects humanity. Uh, humanity goes the way that Christian pastors, leaders, teachers rightly divide the Word of God. That will impact. so you see nations change because you know the great revivals of in America, the great awakenings came through preachers that were, you know, John and Edwards man. Yeah, he was a guy who dug, dug in the Word and understood these categories yes. that we're talking about. So, so having said that, once you uh, if you don't mind taking us through, you know, there, there's probably some more. Maybe we won't talk about all of them, but there's probably some subcategories. Mm-hmm. But the main literary types of the Bible are law, gospel, narrative, poetic, wisdom, apocalyptic, prophetic, historical, and epistle. And so I don't know if we if we want to take them one by one, sure. or if we just kind of want to walk through and explain yeah. quickly what each one of those yeah, things give, are. Give, give a uh, yeah, let's just start, and then we'll dig into each one. Maybe just you know try to spend three or four minutes on each one, or right. some a little more, some a little less. But uh, just help people understand. If we're going to throw these out, well, let's help folks understand what what they mean, then so that they can use them as a, a great uh, part of the sword weapon of the Word of God. Sure. You want to just start with law? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you know, it's important to realize that this is not talking about just about laws. This is talking about law being the law of God. So law, in a very real way, is the Ten Commandments. But anytime that God speaks and gives a command through an apostle, through a prophet, um, this is law. Yeah. Um, and so this is, a, and some laws are tempered in grace and some are divine attributes of the character of God that we need grace because we can't live up to. But the idea of anything that God commands is law. And so obviously we our minds go to the book of, you know, uh, the Torah or to the Pentateuch, you know, um, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, yeah. uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, these books that are that are filled with law. Yeah. But um but that's not the only kind of law in the Bible when you know when Paul says, uh, I command you, yeah. preach the word under the anoint or under the uh, the command of of an apo- being an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's a command. Yeah. And so, 
So we can we can distinguish law from the broader view of law is always um, commands of God, and then there's then there's a distinction between two sides of law, which is the law of God, which we know no man is saved under the law, yeah. and then and then the other side would be anything that God tells us to do. So we need to distinguish those two things because when we're talking about the law of God. We, we understand it's the holy perfection of God, the, the thing that drives us to the grace of Christ. So we don't want to be confused by the language of law and the law of God. And, the, and that one, the, it's, that's an unceasing, the, 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 the language of God speaking his heart and mind in, into the human soul. Is, that's, the, that's, that's the big picture law. It's not necessarily... Like the ceremonial law or something like that, and so it's. But it's important to understand that that there's a distinction between uh, these types of law, or otherwise we'll just, you know, get rid of any kind of law at all, and right. and, and then then we're that's called antinomianism, anti against nomianism, the law, and so yeah. uh, we don't do that. And I would just also briefly say that because you're going to talk about the gospel as well. We'll go through the gospel first, then I want to comment on the, how how to look at these two together. Gospel um, is obviously, this is, you know, uh, English transliteration of a word um, that we could be just practically translated the good news or good news. This is from the Greek word um, euvangelion, which basically is the sort of root word where we get all of our words like evangel, evangelism, yeah. evangelical, um, this all things pertaining to and being centered on the hub of the gospel. And the gospel, obviously, but just so we, we vet it out, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel, and, and it's important to realize that the gospel isn't just the, the plan of salvation. That's a part of the gospel, but the gospel is, is Christ. The gospel is that God took on flesh. He, he walked among us. He lived a perfect life. He, he died a sinner's death uh, that he didn't deserve. He rose again and now is seated at the right hand of God. All of this is, is part of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that, that, that God walked among us. And so gospel just simply means good news. And obviously, we, we talk a lot in this podcast about the law and the gospel. And so uh, one important way that you could put these two things together would be this. The law is the unchanging character of God. Yeah. You know, the, we see the negatives of that in the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, have no other gods before me. But the things that God commands us to do that could never save us because we're imperfect humans, this is the character of God. The law, us coming into view of it, shows us our need for the gospel. So the gospel is how God relates to his people, but the law is who God is. Yeah. And so I think those, and all through the Bible, you know, you mentioned this in a previous podcast, but the, the gospel isn't just, even though we see the gospels, that's the unveiling or the the, the revelation, the, the coming of Christ in human form, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we see the gospel in the Old Testament. We see the gospel. We also see the law in the, in the New Testament. And so anytime we, we see the law, um, it's God commanding us, uh, and, and we see the grace of God in the gospel. Yeah, and people get that confused. They say, okay, any word out of Moses' mouth was law, and any words out of Jesus' mouth was gospel, but that's, that's not really the full picture. Moses 
preached the gospel when he talked about the you know sprinkling the blood on the book. Yes, that's 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 gospel. Uh, the 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 tree that uh, the you know the, the serpent, the bronze serpent, the snake. That you know that's that's gospel. This is it's a for for seeing of what was to come in the gospel. Thank you for watching and listening to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Josh and I really appreciate the opportunity to minister to you. If you've been blessed by this, encouraged in the Lord, I would love for you to prayerfully consider generously giving to help support this ministry. You can go to worldchallenge.org and you'll find a donate button right there on the homepage. God bless. Thanks. You know, I've said this to some people before, and they, you know, they're, just, they're, they're jaw dropped. Like, no, that can't be true. Uh, but that Jesus preached the law. Uh, and some people don't see that, but you know, if it's if to me, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but even like when Jesus said, "Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself," it's a summary of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the law, so he's preaching the law, yeah. and so that that we we have to see then the law, as as Paul said, the law is good. Yes, uh, when you see it, but but, but well, they say, well, but a lot of parts it seems, it seems to say, you know, we're not under the law. Then if it's so good, why aren't we under? It's like even distinguishing here, and we won't get into the weeds of this too much, but even distinguishing here that the the law and is good in in, in that it shows the, the 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 very fiber of who God is, but it's it's not healthy for us when we try to use it for justification. That's right, and that's whenever you see anything negative in the New Testament, it's not negative about the moral law of God. It's negative about using that to try to save yourself by good right. good works. And that, and so people get that confused. Like, is the law good? Well, it almost seems like con- contradiction, doesn't it? The, right. the law is good. It's holy. It's right. Like, don't don't live under the law. If you live under the law, you're going to be judged by the law. And so, right. it's it's you just keep in mind for justification. And when you do that, then you'll be able to discern these two things. Yeah, we just have to understand what the purpose of these things are. You know, we and then we don't not declare the law. We don't not declare the the holiness of God. We don't not declare the commands of God. We just don't declare them as a means of salvation. They're a means that that show us a need for a savior. And so when we should talk about sometimes people who get very caught up in gospel, you know, they think, well, you know, no, no, you're you're con- you're bringing condemnation on people. But the law is supposed to yeah. because it shows us that we are not God. Yeah. We're not like God. Our goodness isn't good enough. And it really elevates our need for the grace of God and the gospel. So, yeah, if it's used rightly, you know, that's what you know, Paul talked about. The, the law is good if it's used rightly. I was just thinking of a story. Of, <clears throat> I think his name was Samuel. Samuel Stoddard uh, back in the 1700s during the uh, Great Awakenings. Uh, he was a very well-respected Bible teacher and pastor in New England, and uh, so he started getting invitations to go speak somewhere. And he would go travel like six Sundays a week to a particular church. And he said the first, you know, for, first four Sundays, he would just go and preach the law. Yeah. And, you know, you're a sinner. God commanded you to do this. You're not doing it. You know, that, uh, that we deserve condemnation. And, and then the last two weeks he'd go and preach the gospel. And by that time, the hearts of the people right. would just run to the altar uh, Today to, to he wouldn't get Christ. invited to preach, no, preach the second sermon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so, so both, the, but the, we're saying both of these are good, and yeah. both these are part of understanding. Uh, and and that's why we said it's dangerous if we get these wrong, because if you're preaching the law for salvation, uh, that's 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 what every other religion in the world does, and that's what a lot of legalistic Christian churches do. 
is preach the law as the gospel. Right. And then And it's okay to note it's okay to notate, even though we're saying the law is in the Old Testament and the gospel and the gospels in the New Testament and the law. It, it's okay though to, you know, to generalize things and say that the gospels are called the gospel for a reason. This is the revelation of Christ, the the embodiment of the gospel, the means of our salvation had showed up in human form. It's okay to realize that much of the book of Leviticus is is law giving, um, but we just need to have our eyes open to both things so we can detect it in both places. And it will really help if we think about the the Bible in terms of law and gospel. It will help us um, detect it when we're in other places. So when we're reading things in the New Testament, we go, "Wow." That really is a glimpse of the gospel. There, you know, we, it helps us helps give continuity to the to the um, old and new testament. The other two, I'm gonna I'm gonna bunch two together that aren't next to each other on the list would be narrative and historical, because a lot of uh, historical tends to be narrative, and so the the idea of just a books that you would categorize as historical books, you could say that um, you know that the idea of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles; these really are giving a running history. The Book of Judges is a are books of history. We see these generations of things happening, um, uh, and so you 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 see this sort of historical line. And, and it's interesting, you know. Also important to realize that the Bible. Most of you probably know this, but the Bible, even though the Old and Test Old and New Testament are laid out chronologically that the Bible is not completely chronological. Right. You know, there are plenty of places where we can see the story, the same story in First and Second Samuel that, that David will be talking about in the book of Psalms, or, or sometimes one of the prophetic books is also intertwined with one of the historical books, yeah. because the historical books really are just kind of giving this history of Israel. Um, and, and then sometimes there's other events that are being mentioned in these other books. So historical books and, and, and even books that aren't fully historical, most of them do give a historical line, like the book of Acts obviously is a is a history of the of the beginning and the founding of the, the first century church. Um, and the reason I put narrative with it is because most history is narrative. But 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 we find narrative talk all through the Bible. One important thing to say about narrative um, literary types is typically narrative is telling us about something. And very often that's instructional. Um, it's, it starts getting into the place where we, we, this is where we get a lot of our teaching from our, our narratives of the Bible. Yeah. And so narrative is going to be intertwined throughout the whole Bible yeah. and in many different places, places you would not use the term narrative would be, you know, the book of Proverbs. That's not narrative at all. That is, these are liter this are literally a wisdom book. So um, anything you want to add in on the narrative or just the, to, just that, that, the um, historical? And, and wanting to know why something's narrative, it, it would be, it, I think it would help us in our um, interpretation of Scripture. So uh, Paul tells this narrative story about being on a ship. It's going to sink. Uh, but everybody's going to be safe if they stay on board. Right. That, that's the narrative. And I, I don't see any problem with us looking at that and personalizing it a little bit. Like if if I obey God, I'll, I'll be safe. Yeah. But but you're kind of walking on some thin ice there because that's not really what that 
that story was to say God was leading Paul. He was like a prophet to those people. He, he uh, Jesus rescued them. You know, it's it's keeping it Christ centered yes. rather than this narrative is to tell me how to live my life. I, I would say that's even more glaring. And again, it can be rightly used, but I just say cautionary. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, you know, it's it's that's a narrative almost through and through. Right. Um, and we use it like leadership principles from Nehemiah, how to get tribes together to build your church. Exactly. Uh, it's not really what Nehemiah was after. It was the, the glory of God and fulfilling his promises to his people of restoring uh, Israel back to Jerusalem and then how God can bring unity to our hearts. You know, it's, we talked about that in one of our last episodes. We really want to see people see the scripture through the lens of of God's, you know, theocentric, Christocentric. Uh, and so narrative can be read wrong if we're only using it for uh, personal thing. Again, I'm not saying you can't, but but you got to be careful because, like, what are, what are you drawing out of Nehemiah? Like, Because later on he says, you know, you know, get rid of all your wives if they're foreigners or, you know, pluck your beards out if you've sinned. Right. Uh, you know, you don't really, that's not too many, there's not too many John Maxwell books about, you know, plucking your beard out, <laughs> right? You know, and so, right. and so we pick and choose, which is, if you're picking and choosing things, then maybe you're not reading it, you know, fully in, in the way it's meant to be. No, I completely agree. And I think this is where a lot of, I've, you know, I think people, I've taken flack from people who um, don't think in the Bible of this terms. And I think a lot of biblical preachers and teachers have because, they like, well, what, man, you're supposed to be making the Bible practical to us. And so they love the idea that you break down a story of Nehemiah and, and superimpose it onto their lives. But like you said, the problem is, is you can't superimpose all of it. And so what right do we have to, to do that? I think the, the, the good way to think about it is, is what we're supposed to see in the story of Nehemiah and what we're supposed to see in the story of David and Goliath are these overarching theological principles that do apply to our lives. Mm-hmm. I think the, the important thing to think about is we're supposed to see that God and how he dealt with his people and how he kept his promise and how he, he kept them. Because if we take, here's, I'll tell you one of the biggest examples I can use where a narrative story has just been completely wrecked. It's the story of Joseph. You know, there's a very famous preacher that, um, you know, he basically breaks the whole life of Joseph down into action steps. So if you want to be, if you want to be the, you know, rise to the cream of the crop when you're in your prison season, then do one, two, and three. If you want to, you know, rule Egypt, yeah. then, then you got to go through your prison season first. Um, this is a very <laughs> so right, yeah. dangerous way. But it's to, so prevalent. So prevalent, a very dangerous way to use the Bible. That doesn't mean that I just read the story and go, okay, that's Joseph's history. Neat. No, we see things about God, and we see how he deals with his people. But the reason why it's dangerous is because if you follow step two and three, I promise you, you're you're not going to definitely be the second command of Egypt. And of course, they're not saying second command of Egypt. They're saying you'll go from being the, the janitor to the CEO of your place. From the apartment to the mansion. To the apartment to the mansion, from the prison to the palace. Yeah. And these are not action steps. These yeah. are stories of a great God who is faithful to his promises that's and to so his people. Important. And that's what really, that's the damage that people do with the narrative. That's, 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 that's worth this whole podcast just right there, what you just said. Uh, we only got about five minutes left. We're trying to stay in this 30-minute time period. Uh, can we plow, I think we could plow quit, through these? Yeah, quickly. You know, I think poetic doesn't need a, a great um, 
example. There's poetic language in many places in the Bible, um, but there are some books that that are would be called. You could lump two of these together. People call um, Psalms and Proverbs books of wisdom and poetry. Um, there's poetic langu- language in uh, Psalms. There is poetic language in 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 uh, Proverbs too, but it would probably fall more under the category of wisdom literature. Some people like to break a subgroup down to Lamentations and call it a, a book of lamenting because that's what Lamentations actually means. But you, if you want to just keep things simple, that's a book of wisdom yeah. also. Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom. And, and going back to why knowing what we're reading is important, <clears throat> if you're reading poetry and you take it as narrative or lit- literal you're going to see something like David said, uh, all my enemies were crushed at my feet. We go, oh, okay, well, all my enemies will be crushed at my feet. Tell that to the man who just got martyred in Iraq. Right. Well, you know, yeah, his enemies eventually will be crushed under his feet, and he's going to re- rule and reign. Um, but, you know, if he was reading that scripture saying, I'm going to be delivered from this prison and I won't be martyred, then he's reading poetic language wrong because you'll never see anywhere in where it's more of a, a direct teaching where it says you're always going to be rescued from your enemies. Yeah. You're always going to, you'll never, no one will ever be martyred. So that's important to see poetry as soul filling, encouragement, devotional, right? Right. And yeah. also, you know, when we do talk about the enemies will be crushed under your feet, the, you know, the poetic language of a lot of, uh, of, of the book of Psalms is really talking about that ultimately those of us who are connected to the Savior will be part of enemies. Yeah. Instead of like, you know, the enemy at my job or yeah. the enemy who wronged me or the person <laughs> yeah. who fired me or, Absolutely. or whatever. Just, this Christ is just taken out of the picture and it's me now. It's me. Doing this and that. And that's, that's uh, just, uh, every time we're doing a podcast, I end up doing a plug. And here's my plug for today's podcast. Uh, you mentioned Psalm and I'm doing a series on the book of Psalms. Yes. It's on our YouTube and on World Challenge as well. And you can find out, uh, I think I've done, I think maybe 12 or 15 are already out there. Um, I'm on 34 as far as recording them, and we're going to put some books together, yes. a series of books together on that. So if you want to know more about Poetic, um, you can do that series. That would be great. Thank you. And then last— uh, Well, the, we just got a few more here. We can just talk about a couple of them quickly. I think we can just get them all in in the next yeah. couple of minutes. Apocalyptic is literally just using a word pictures um, you know, to explain something— um, by using devices, you know, apocalyptic literature. So, you know, the book of, of Revelation has a lot of apocalyptic literature or a lot of uh, apocalyptic writing. In the book of Ezekiel, you know, do you really believe that, you know, a chariot came down and and he, did he see those things and whatever? Maybe so, but but that's what it's talking about, this sort of apocalyptic. And, and the term apocalypto or apocalyptic really is talking about... Um, yeah, sort of like um, uh, the the culmination of something, and so basically, it's kind of putting, it's kind of bringing an end to something. So it doesn't always mean like you know the Book of Revelation, the end of all things. Uh, it's using word picture or to to explain something. That's what apocalyptic literature really is. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but um, the last two would be uh, the 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 more simple one. We'll take first the word epistle. It's uh, the primary language of the New Testament. You have the apocalyptic book of Revelation, um, and you have the the book of narrative in church history, the book of Acts. 
and you have the four gospels and the rest of the New Testament are epistles. And that's just a fancy word for letter, um, a formal letter that was written. And so Paul wrote, you know, 21 of these letters. Um, the other few were written by, uh, you know, a few by John, a few by Peter, James, <coughs> but, um, but primarily written by the apostle Paul. And this is just and the epistle just means letter. Yeah, and and would you allow me to get super corny here for a second? Yeah. So this was the first of the E's. We have, you have now we have E. Don't, I don't want to make you laugh here while you're drinking, but yeah, it's probably not funny, so you won't laugh. But uh, just, uh, now now I'm really blowing it because I'm taking too much time for something stupid. But uh, e books, email. This is the first, even historically, Bible the E epistle. It's funny. Yeah, maybe. So that was the the primary language of of the the New Testament was epistles, yeah, right. typically written because of an issue in a church that was started or governed by the the apostolic ministry of the apostle Paul or apostle Peter, and they wrote um, letters of correction, rebuke, and encouragement to these yeah. churches. And, and it was important. Some of our previous episodes on this uh, topic of the fascination, life altering Word of God has to do with, okay, so how do you read an epistle? Like, you know, it's so important to understand the history, who they're writing to, or you can get some things wrong. But Right, and then the final literary type is uh, prophetic. And I think this one's real important just to spend a couple of minutes on. I know we're running low on time, but, um, you know, people, and especially today, tend to think the word prophetic as meaning future-telling, right? Like, you know, the prophetic, you know, he prophesied this. But the word prophecy actually doesn't mean that. It means um, sort of speaking to past, present, and future. And you can kind of equate the word prophecy with the declaration of who God said he was, the great I am, you know, the one who sees the the end from the beginning. And so prophetic really, really means more than anything else to speak on behalf of God. That's what, you're speaking on behalf of the I am, the one who knows the past, present, and the future. So there is some future telling. This is God saying, you know, my, my son will come, I will send a Messiah. Um, but most of biblical prophecy, and some people will, you know, be... You know, like, no, don't say that. But most of biblical prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Christ. Yeah. Um, and so the 95% of what the New Testament or the Old Testament teaches from the prophets was, was rebukes and commands for God's people and foretelling of, of the, the salvation that would come through Christ. Now, of course, we know that there's some things that have yet to be done right. that are going to be fulfilled in the person of Christ. But yeah. ultimately, yeah. all prophecy begins and ends in Christ. That's why Hebrews starts with the foretelling. In, in, in past times, God spoke through prophets and fathers and whatever, but in this last time, he's spoken through his son. Christ is the sum end of biblical prophecy. That's why he is the Mashiach, or in Greek would be translated the Christ, which simply means the anointed one. And the people who were anointed in the Old Testament were prophets, priests, and kings. And so he is not a king or a prophet or, you know, like Islam says, yeah, he's a, one of the prophets. No, he is the prophet, priest, and king for all eternity. The, I, I like to say this when I talk about prophecy. The reason that we knew prophecy would be fulfilled is because the person who fulfilled it whispered it into the ear oh, of the yeah. prophet. Sweet. You know, he knew it was God that was telling the prophets what to prophesy. And so you you could get in a deeper uh, conversation about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. That's something for another time. But as far as 
writing styles, the, the, the books that are considered prophecy. There is prophecy in the New Testament, and there is prophecy in the other parts of the Old Testament, but the books of prophecy are really broken down into the major and minor prophets. Um, major not meaning they're more important. Major meaning that there's a lot more writing from your Isaiah's, your Ezekiel's, your Jeremiah's, uh, the main prophets, they call it the the major prophets, and then you have the minor prophets, which be would be like uh, Zechariah, Joel, Malachi, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. That's good. My granddaughter called, called me one time and said she, she was heard in Sunday school, major, minor prophets. She thought they meant they were underage prophets, <laughs> minor prophets. That's funny. And, yeah. Hey, if you, uh, if, if, if a lot of people that know me, uh, you've known me only a couple of years. You probably never seen me angry, have you? I have not. No, no. Most my wife doesn't see me angry like three times. Uh, Aaron's sitting over there on the couch. Uh, he's helping us put all this podcast together. Uh, you've never seen me angry, have you? No. So, I, but if you want to see me angry, check out next uh, episode because I'm a, don't despise doctrine. Theology matters, Amen. and I, I have this burn my saddle about people that sort of just, you know, thumbs down on doctrine, on theology, on Bible school, on, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I've got to be careful. I don't get started already. So, but uh, I'm just teasing. I probably won't get angry, but, but I, I do get angry over when I start hearing people um, denounce doctrine. And so we're going to be talking about that next episode. Join us. Thanks for joining us on this fascinating journey we're on uh, about the fascinating word of God that alters our life. God bless you. If you're enjoying the podcast but want to dig deeper, both Gary and Joshua have books that you can buy right now on our online store. Go to worldchallenge.org and click on the store tab at the top of the page. There you'll find books written by David Wilkerson, Gary Wilkerson, Joshua West, and others as well. Check it out today. If you have been positively impacted by the podcast and would like to help us, there are a few ways you can do that. One, remember us in your prayers. Two, share this content with others. And three, consider becoming a World Challenge partner. If you would like to give to the ministry, go to worldchallenge.org and click on the green donate button. Thank you for praying, sharing, and giving. We'll see you next time.